I'm Art Miller. This is Art Class, and it's about to begin. Please take your seats. This is the Lake Forest Podcast. Welcome to the Lake Forest Podcast, the podcast about the lovely city of Lake Forest, featuring topics like local news, sports, music, people, food, and history. My name is Pete, and I'm joined with my co-host, Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller. And we all live in Lake Forest. Before we start our class, we have a sponsor for the show, Dakota Insurance Group. They've got your back. Why? Because that's what friends are for. Dakota Insurance handles all your residential and commercial insurance needs. Get a quote now at dakotainsurancegroup.com. Okay, one of the goals of the podcast is our listeners to learn just a little bit more about Lake Forest. Well, who better to teach us about Lake Forest history than our own Lake Forest history legend, Arthur Miller? Okay, everyone, take your seats, fold your hands, put them on top of the desk. Our class is about to begin. Hey, Art, how you been? I've been just great. How are you? Oh, fantastic, Art. You know, this is going to air on Marshall Field's birthday. I think he'd be 162, 182, something like that. I think it would be great for uh, the, the listeners to learn about Marshall Field's how he started, and who, who better to ask than you, Art? Well, Marshall Fields was a great innovator. He wasn't the first in the wholesale business, and probably not the first in the retail, but he was pretty brilliant about combining the two uh, into one thing. He was preceded by another lake, uh, by a Lake Forest family, really. The Farwells, uh, Charles B. and John V. Farwell. John V. Farwell was brilliant before the Civil War, built an enormous warehouse. And this was just when trains were getting established and we had the lake and the train connection here. And Farwell built this enormous warehouse. And then when the war broke out, he was the only guy who could provide provisions and uniforms and stuff to the troops who were going south with Grant. Grant extended into Kentucky and Tennessee and Mississippi and finally captured Vicksburg, but the supplies were all coming from Chicago. He was pretty brilliant, and he got rich. He actually kind of retired in 1864 to do uh, kind of Red Cross work or raise money for Red Cross type stuff for the soldiers, and then his brother-in-law took over, who was more the political guy in the family, but also grew the business. But in the meantime, around in there, working around the edges of, of them, was uh, Marshall Fields, who had, I think he had a relationship with them, but then he ended up going beyond the wholesale end of it, which he was in, in a big way, huge way. He decided to emphasize retail, retail for especially the more elite customers of the more up end, upper end or upscale kinds of products and things like that. And he, his famous phrase was, give the lady what she wants. He really catered to the women shoppers in the Chicago area, which was growing rapidly in the late 19th century. It was, re, by 1890, it reached him a million uh, citizens in, in Chicago, uh, but also was starting to have people living in the suburbs and all. But more important than that were the people who came to Chicago on an intermittent basis for various business reasons or passing through the country. By that time, 
So the trains all stopped in Chicago. Coming from the east to the west, they had to stop in Chicago because the east coast lines, the Pennsylvania Railroad, the New York Central, they stopped here. And then you changed trains to other lines that were going west, particularly lines like the uh, Chicago Northwestern. A few, if you're going southwest, you went on the Santa Fe. So these folks stopped here. They also probably stayed overnight in the big hotels and they shopped. And if they came from the hinterlands outside of Chicago, around in uh, Michigan or Iowa or Indiana, they came to town to shop. And or the men did business, but their wives came to shop. And so the men might be over at banks and doing things, you know, with ordering stuff on a wholesale basis for their stores. But their wife would go and she would shop and buy clothes buy housewares, all kinds of things. They became more of a vertically integrated company as time went by and made their own china, made their own um, different kinds of products that they sold. So they did wholesale, retail, and manufacturing. And so this was a huge consumer products-based operation. Later 19th century, 1870s and 80s, uh, Marshall Field was building an enormous house on Prairie Avenue, which was the hot place at that time. His son built one down there too in that neighborhood, Marshall Field II. Everything was going well. Marshall Field was doing great. He had a nephew, Stanley Field, and a group of them, including Stanley, went out in, I think it was New Year's Day 1906, and uh, played golf in the cold. Um, He got a little cold about a third of a century before they invented uh, penicillin, which would cure lung troubles, went toes up. He had left a very healthy company that was in the process of expansion, building even a bigger store on Michigan Avenue. He had gathered a lot of material from the 1893 World's Fair. It was stored in a sort of, at that time, semi-permanent place, the Fine Arts Building down on the um, fairgrounds, which were in Jackson Park. It's now the Museum of Science and Industry, but that's after they basically rebuilt it with solid materials. It had a good foundation, but they didn't have any good walls. He wanted to build a better building in Grant Park. Grant Park, there was Montgomery Ward, who was also in the retail customer service business, didn't want anything built in the park. And so they had legal cases. So they had to do infill land uh, south of the park, the existing park, south of the railroad station that was there, the IC station, they built um, using clinkers or ashes from the coal-burning furnaces in the loop uh, that were brought over by a little underground trolley and dropped. And then guys with shovels distributed this before we had land-moving equipment, distributed this to fill in a whole big space where now, which we call the the um, museum campus, Stanley Field was in charge of building this the Field Museum. It opened in a hundred years ago in 1921. It's been going for a hundred years there. It was his anthropological and various collections, natural history collections that he'd gotten that had been augmented over time in big ways. But I mean. He started it with that nucleus from the 1893 World's Fair. So Stanley Field carried out his vision for that place. And was that was basically his career for life, was taking care of that place. He built a big house in Lake Bluff on the lake. 
using the same architects, um, Burnham and Company. Now Burnham died in 1912, but right after that his firm took over and they still had Pierce Anderson, who was his architect designer. And Anderson built Stanley Fields house on the lake at the end of Lakeland Road off of Moffat in Lake Bluff. Um, you can drive down Lakeland Road toward the end. The house is no longer there. It's torn down in the 60s, I think, but some of the gardens survive. The street is there with these enormous uh, hemlock trees that were planted by the landscape architect Warren Manning. So that was one aspect of, of that second generation of fields that came out here. And I think there was another, just south of that, was another property, um, I can't remember the name of the street, something Trails Street, that was also a field uh, relationship. It was Dibble or Dibley or something like that, uh, which was somebody related to field also. And so that part of Lake Bluff after 1900 was developed partly by the fields. Uh, second generation, uh, Marshall Field II, um, he died very early. Marshall Field III moved east to New York, but the company was taken over in 1906 by uh, John G. Shedd. Shedd was the, the guy that was his operating guy, Marshall Field's operating guy. And he ran the company for quite a while, for a couple of decades, well into the 20s. He, he worked very closely with uh, Edward Bennett, the Lake Forest, the architect that lived in Lake Forest, uh, in 1907 on doing the Walnut Room um, very artistic walnut room with stained glass features in it by Bennett. Uh, and this is still a popular spot for Lake Forest. Everybody in Chicago goes there at Christmas time and everything like that. So Shed took over and grew the business and kept adding manufacturing, adding to things. Uh, Field had built a big warehouse in the 1880s, and that was still there. So in down in Chicago, in by the 1910s, one of Shed's daughters uh, married a guy named Schweppe, Mrs. Schweppe, Laura Schweppe. He built for her a pretty fancy house. He used, he had a, a house built in 1996 down on Drexel Boulevard, which at that time was a very she-she part of town, um, down closer to the University of Chicago area. And this guy was uh, Frederick Wainwright Perkins, and he built the Schweppes a house on a pretty big parcel on the lake. It was actually the third building on that site. First building on the site had been the 1871 hotel that burned by 1877. Second building was the 1880 to 83 big house for daughter of Charles Scribner and the railroad, and granddaughter of a railroad baron. Uh, that house was torn down in the teens to build Shed's daughter's place. And that's a 24,000 square foot house. It's been there. It's kind of um, English style on the exterior. Uh, inside, it's got both medieval rooms and classic 18th century rooms. Very elegant house. Had wonderful gardens around it at the time. And the house, the Schweppes lived in there from the, from the teens until about 1940. And they both died off. Um, the family, extended family of descendants, kept the house until the about 1986. They used the fancy pool that was designed by Fletcher Steele, a famous landscape architect, as their private club. They didn't inhabit the house, but they used the kind of as a club. They sold it to um, a couple, 
the house was restored after, you know, it was been maybe almost 60, 70 years old. So it needed work. And it was restored by Mrs. Donna Denton and her husband at that time. Uh, they soon divorced and he took over the pool house or maybe replaced the pool house with a, with a place and they subdivided the land, but they kept a very large parcel for the house and she restored, kept restoring the house, kept it up. And eventually in, I think the 2008 financial bust, she lost the house. She'd had a lot of family money from inventing the helium balloons, you know, that people blow up at the store and everything like that. She kept it going, but had to lose it at that time. The banks owned it until fairly recently, in the last year, I guess. It's been purchased by an out-of-town family um, who is who has hired a very good local architect, a Chicago architect, Lederbach and Graham. And they are making modest changes to the house. Keep it intact. Don't change the exterior. Make mostly some upstairs interior changes, you know, for stuff for the family, what they want. But this 150 feet of lakeshore frontage with an enormous terrace and a great forecourt leading into the house, etc. this gem has been saved and preserved. So this was built with John Shedd's uh, money in after a decade of his being president. Uh, he also bought a house by the 20s for another daughter, um, Mrs. Kersey Coates Reed, Helen Reed, Mrs. Reed later Keith, because her husband died very early in 1929. And so she, they were building with David Adler a tennis house uh, that was built into the ravine. Um, it's also looked like a regular residence from uh, the, the tableland height. And they lived in that while they built a house, a, a new house on the site of the former house which was completed in 1931. Now, the best time to build a house in the 20th century was 1930-31, because if you had to, if you wanted to buy a, let's say, fancy lamp or something like that in 1929, you paid 100 bucks. You could buy the same lamp for 10 bucks in 1931. So they basically bought, if you had cash, which most people didn't, but if you had cash, which the Shedd family still did, they could build this magnificent house. That one is 32, that was built at 32,000 square feet, which is, think of it, you know, it's big. <laughs> there was so much money that the two daughters donated Lake Forest Library in 1930-31, completed in 1931. Same time, it's finished to the same standards as the house, as the Kersey Coast Street house, which is at 1315 North Lake Road. Um, the gardens are across the street, and then the, at the end of the gardens is the tennis house over by Elm Tree Road. Um, so this was an enormous estate on the lake. Um, it went between two ravines. It's the only house in Lake Forest that went from ravine to ravine. Uh, it was purchased later, much later. It was stayed in Mrs. Reed slash Keith's hands until the late 70s when she died. Um, the family then sold it to the Stride family, still are in town, and the Strides sold it in the, I'm trying to remember when exactly, but it would have been sometime in the first decade of the 21st century, to the Reed Andersons who've remodeled it extensively. Maybe it was around 2010, I'm not sure. 
but they remodeled it extensively on the exterior. They added more garage space and they added an indoor pool to the south, pretty massive house. So the library that they built in 1931 was a cruciform plan. That meant it had a rotunda in the middle with a big dome on top of it. And then it had four wings going out from it. This is basically also the plan of the Shedd Aquarium, 1827-28, on the grounds uh, of that same infill for the uh, museum campus next to the Field Museum. So Shedd, who succeeded Marshall Field, built next to Marshall Field, who he re- you know respected and revered, built his aquarium, which was not a museum. Well, it was like a museum of seafood stuff, you know. <laughs> fish, aquatic things, whales. It was sort of supersized uh, in recent decades, but the original building had been cruciform also and was very um, interesting to see. And it was built by the same architects as did the Field Museum. Uh, by that time, they were called Graham Anderson, Probst, and White in the late 20s. So that was a neat tack on to show the continuity of the company and everything under John Shedd that even followed in philanthropy his, um, his, pa- his mentor. And they continued that, his daughters continued with the Lake Forest Library, which is on the same level of quality or perhaps better than the Shedd Aquarium. The families lived, have con- continued to live in town. I don't think there's any descendant of those two families now living in Lake Forest, although one of Mrs. Reed's, her daughter, her son lives in Lake Bluff and Florida, both in, in the boat, more, more in Florida now than in Lake Bluff, but he restored the tennis house um, in about 2012 completely, which had been decorated by David Adler's, David Adler's for the tennis house and the house was the architect, and his sister, fancy hoity-toity West Coast interior designer had done this lavish interior for the tennis house. And he restored that in recent years. So the family's still interested in town, still owns property in town, doesn't actually live here. Living in Lake Forest is kind of a relative term, as you've probably noticed in Lake Forest. Last week's mansion section of the Wall Street Journal on Friday had a, a guy named White that lives in Lake Forest, but also has a place in Florida and a place in Door County. And that's a fairly typical spread. People have three places for three different reasons. You know, one maybe is around family things, but then Florida for winter, someplace up north or where it's cooler in the summertime. And this isn't new. This goes back to the 1880s when people used to go out to California to get away from the winters and stuff and summers. The the question that I have on Marshall Fields, Market Square in town. Sure. Yeah. That used to be a Marshall Fields, but... That used to be a bank, right? It was built as a bank and as a showroom for new electrical appliances. When appliances were just getting started, they wanted people to know what a vacuum cleaner was. So they had a vacuum cleaner. They had different things to show to people what they could have. The bank grew and moved and got and grew out of the size of that place and then built a building a block south on Bank Lane at um, the big place that's now the Northern Trust. It was the lake, it was the first National Bank of Lake Forest until about 1986, because Illinois didn't allow branch banking uh, Mm. until 1986. And so, but as soon as they allowed branch banking, 
the Northern took it over because they basically, they just merged because their customers were the same kind of thing, uh, multi-generational wealth, that sort of thing. That building in 1931, then that bank space was taken over by Marshall Fields. They eventually grew to take over the whole two stories and basement below. It was a true department store. In the 1970s when I came, and before they even had sold the company, they, they operated in those three stores. The upstairs, men didn't go up there very much. It was mostly women's clothing, uh, lots of women's clothing, that whole second floor. Uh, the main floor on the left when you went in were cosmetic counters and perfume, expensive high-end perfume. That space is still owned by the successor Macy Company and is called Blue Mercury, the cosmetics. It's a more modern interpretation, but it's the same basic product Ah. for the same basic customers, which is ladies, you know. Right. Um, You and I are a little at a loss about that, but, you know, they got stuff to do in there. Then there were other accessories like purses and things to the right. And there was even a men's section of very upscale, high, you know, and designer label men's clothing. And so people were in there all the time. The basement was linens, housewares, and that sort of thing. So it was good wedding gift area. Uh, But if you needed stuff, it was good to just go and get things there too. But you could, it was, a lot of this was gift stuff that people gave. um, Right. So the place was pretty pretty busy it was not a full-size store and which became totally apparent about 1974 when mace uh, when marshall fields opened the big store at hawthorne uh, hawthorne was the bee's knees in 1974 it was the upscale place and marshall fields had all the upscale um, lines in much more depth out there so that a base basically that pretty much started the decline of the of the in-town mm-hmm. Marshall Fields because people could just drive out to Hawthorne or they would go downtown. But originally, Market Square had been built to compete with downtown, and it was doing okay until that big, pretty good-sized Marshall Fields opened out there. It looked different than it does now under Macy's. Macy's kind of made it a little bit more, well, not discount store, but I mean, it doesn't have carpeted soft genteel feel that it had earlier and the product product lines don't have the depth especially at the high end that they had earlier um so a lot of people still lament the loss of that and to some extent lake forest i mean to some extent chicago is in trouble for those kinds of lines anyway michigan avenue got its issues with uh theft and people sort of steering off down there so it's a problem but well marshall fields was a big popular place from 1931 until about 2005 2006 i think they bought it in 2005 they kept it for a year or two but then sold it off except for well they, they they let their lease go they claimed that marshall that that market square tripled their lease um i don't know but they kept that corner to have a, so there's still a Marshall Field successor anchor right there in the, in the building. Marshall Field the fifth has lived here for a long time. I think probably since at least the 70s, 60s or 70s in town on Green Bay Road. He now 
I think is probably more in Florida, but his daughter and he's in his house has been on the market. And his daughter, though, lives to the south, Mrs. Harris, in a very nice uh, old Lake Forest house that she fixed up beautifully, re completely refurbished, a hundred year old house. It's a show place now. So there's a, the Field family, more than in the earlier days, has a presence in Lake Forest. It didn't, um, I think there was a Mrs. Marshall Field, the fourth maybe, who lived on Deer Path close to the lake, but Marshall Field never lived out there. He lived, he was, he was older uh, by the time Lake Forest was really rolling and he already had his golf buddies in different places and stuff. And so, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> so does that give you a little? Oh, that, that, that does. I didn't even ask you about Frango Mints. Is there oh, a Mr. Frango uh, that lived in town? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we knew the guy who ran the, uh, lived on my street in Lake Forest. Uh, Jerry Rozak ran the eighth floor where they had all the restaurants and the frangos and the whole thing. As the store started to kind of go apart, he moved away because he could get a better job somewhere else. Right, right. They were, they, you know, that they, they didn't keep their frangos when they took over in Macy's and stuff like that. They still sell them, but they're not the ones. They're not made up there by the little old ladies. On the, right. So there's one more field connection. Okay. Um, James Simpson, who who was president of Marshall Fields after Shed, uh, then was also the guy who built the Merchandise Mart uh, down in Chicago on the old, old Northwestern Station. Then what he did something else. I'm trying to remember what it was, but he he was he was a huge businessman. His son, his second son, uh, Jack, I believe his name was, lives um, lived in the 1960s in a house he built with Walter Frazier, where Lake Road bumps out as it kind of bumps west a little bit as you're going up there. It's a straight street, and then all of a sudden it goes boom. Because there was a big 1895 house there that the owner owned the land from the lake. It was a Northern Trust guy. He owned the land from the lake to Sheridan Road, but he wanted more space for his house. So he just adjusted the street, shall we say. The house, um, the second house in that bump going north was uh, this, this uh, second generation Simpson house, part of that same Marshall Field family. So there's lots of people who've had connections with and have built houses and things in Lake Forest. But they've had connections with that huge um, enterprise, which was massive. I think they employed people up in Zion to, to do lace, for instance, for people mm -hmm. to make lace tablecloths and stuff. They just had all kinds of, they, they had their own dishes, their own brand of dishes that people had. I think my daughter has a set of Marshall Field dishes, antiques, you know. Right, and right. So there's a lot of still connections with Lake Forest, although it wasn't really Marshall Field himself that was here. But the company that he started fueled a whole bunch of energy in Lake Forest, including the Lake Forest Library and including the Marshall Field store that was um, the anchor for um, from 1931 until um, 19, uh, 2006 for Market Square. Um, wow. And probably losing that anchor uh, led to the sale of Market Square in 2013. And to kind of, the guy started, they've been trying to re-envision it. The, the, the pandemic has not been helping them a lot. Yeah. Um, but they brought in Lululemon, for instance, the big Starbucks that's there, and some, you know, some other good going businesses that have brought in traffic and everything. That probably, that new ownership, that new level of um, 
intensity there in the square uh, comes from Marsha Fields moving out. Yeah. It kind of doomed the previous owner. <laughs> Happy birthday, Marshall Fields, wherever you are. Yep. As this is as this is airing. Well, we thank you for listening to the Lake Forest Podcast. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you like to hear about in the upcoming shows. Again, I'm Pete. I can be reached at Pete at LakeForestPodcast.com. The link will be in the podcast notes below. On behalf of my co-host, Arthur Miller, our class is now over. Thank you for listening. Cue the band.